Dangling After Dark with Dick Dangle. Episode 504 is a full episode interview with the award-winning and AVN Hall of Fame director, Jim Powers. Warning. This show is only for adults who like sex. Does your dick hang low? Does it dangle to and fro? Can you tie it in a knot? Can you tie it in a bow? (laughs) Don't worry. Dick will be coming. Welcome to the Covert Nation. Here he is. Dick Jangle. Dick Jangle. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 504 of Dangling After Dark with Dick Dangle. Welcome to the Pervert Nation. I am your host, Dick Dangle, and I hope that this episode and message finds everybody doing well, having fun, and living the best life that they possibly can. For this episode, you are going to get a real treat. It is a full episode interview with the incredible director in the adult industry, the amazing Jim Powers. Thank you so much to Erica Icon of The Rub PR for allowing me to interview this fine gentleman When I have the opportunity to interview somebody that has been so prolific and has been in the industry as long as Jim Powers has, it makes me excited because he goes back to when I really got into adult content. So you're talking in in the 90s. So there are a lot of people that he worked with that I really enjoyed, and we can kind of connect on that because as I talked to him about the different things, be it in the interview or maybe while we were away from the interview, it was one of those, oh, cool, you know that person. And I really enjoy having those moments with people. But just to be able to pick his brain, this man has such a phenomenal memory. I actually bring it up in the interview that it amazes me. He has forgotten more than I will ever learn when it comes to the adult industry. And that is such a play on words because it seems like this man didn't forget anything. (laughs) But we get into so many different things. We talk about his love of music and a couple other topics. But when we talk about the adult industry, I was trying really hard to ask him questions that he really doesn't get asked all the time. And as I was asking them and he was giving these really well thought out answers, it left a lot of meat on the bone for me to want to interview him again. And I'm sure that will happen in the future. But for now, you get this fine man for about an hour or so, and it is well worth a listen, especially if you are an older gentleman like myself who really enjoyed the industry through the 90s, even before that, because we do talk a little bit about that, but mainly through the 90s and 2000s, when that to me was kind of the golden age of the adult industry. 
So once again, thank you to Jim Powers for being on this show. And thank you out there in Pervert Nation for listening to the show. I know you're going to enjoy it. Please let me know if you do. You can let me know on Twitter at the Dick Dangle, Instagram, Dangling After Dark. You can email me, Dick at DanglinAfterDark.com is my email. Go to DickDangle.com and you can see all my links to wherever I'm at and wherever you can enjoy me. But for now, you can enjoy me right here with Jim Powers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please take care of yourselves and the people around you. Pay for your porn and support amazing content creators and directors like Jim Powers and all of the people that you have heard on the show over the years. Find something that feeds your soul and do it as often as you possibly can. And of course, dangle on. It goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. My guest is known as one of the most prolific and respected directors in the history of adult entertainment. His work can be found on just about every studio in adult, and his work and reputation has recently found him receiving some well-deserved award nominations with his name on six categories, including Best Couple Sex Scene, Best Group Sex Scene, and two entries for Movie of the Year Trans for the 2023 Fleshbot Awards. If you are a fan of porn, his name has been on the work you've enjoyed so bow down at the feet of the peddler of fine art and an avian hall of famer the handsome and talented jim powers how are you doing today sir i'm doing great especially after that intro <laughs> i'm glad it, but <laughs> the purveyor of fine art yes I like to put the people that I interview on a pedestal, and you are definitely one of those people. We will get into all of that shortly, but if I may, before we get started, can you please tell everybody where they could find you online and on social media? Oh, well, social media, pretty much the only thing I'm on is Twitter, or X as they're calling it now, and Jim, uh, Jim Powers, Triple X. And uh, I shoot for Gamma primarily. So I shoot for a lot of websites like Biphoria, Gender X. Uh, I shoot for Dogfart. Uh, I shoot a lot of the Devils uh, content, from, you know, Transfixed, uh, uh, the Adult Time, you know, Accidental Gang Bangs, the MILF Overloads. Um, it's a cornucopia of smut. I'm very well diversified. You can definitely say that. So. First off, congratulations on all of your recent nominations. With all of your accolades and your Hall of Fame induction, what is your approach to the award part of the industry? Okay, well, you're kind of talking to a guy who never shows up at any of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, God, my approach is terrible. People, should, you know, if you don't have the other ones, you just, oh, thank you. I'm having some coffee to Hey, will you shut that door, sir? Yes, thank you so much. That was my son bringing me some coffee. Wow. Anyway, so my approach, look, at, I don't know. I try to shoot every porn scene like it's my last scene. So just having living for the moment, trying to make the best scene we can. So, I mean, when you say my approach to wars, what do I like? Spend my time trying to send things in. No, I don't ever do really do much of anything. I mean, sometimes I'll make it to a award show and it's just, you know, it's fun when you're there. But I don't, I don't know. I don't spend a lot of time on that. Mm. So I guess. 
never have. That's why I don't win a lot of awards. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. And and that's my thing. Like when you see that you have been nominated and you see that you get this AVN Hall of Fame induction, do you just kind of go, oh, cool? Or does it make you kind of reflect on what you have done? Look, at when I got inducted into the Hall of Fame, and God, what was that, 15 years ago, maybe more, I was upset. Because, I mean, like, fuck, that means you're over, you're dead, right? Because <laughs> in the old days, it used to be if you won Performer of the Year or New Starlet of the Year, you were toast. Remember how it used to be? Yeah. Way back when. And so it was like a kiss of death. It's like getting on the cover of Madden Football. So when I won Performer, you know, when I got into the Hall of Fame, and, and you know, I got in because of the cocky, let's face it, you know, who had, I'd done something nobody had ever done before. So I basically made it in for that. But I'll, I always thought that was something they gave you at the end of your career. You know what I mean? Because I guess when I used to go to the Avian Award shows all the time back in the 90s and early 2000s, that's generally how it was that people that I was seeing on stage that I'd never even worked with for getting these Hall of Fame awards or, or post-mortem were getting them. You know what I mean? That's how it used to be. Mm. So anyway, I, I got it so early on, I guess, what – who knows? Maybe at the ending, they thought my career was going to be over in a year, but somehow I managed to survive. So I'm still here. I'm like a cockroach. <laughs> I don't know, meandering now, but that's basically uh, that's what I thought on that. Yeah. So for the listeners who may not know, let's get into it. Kind of a, a Cliff's Notes version because you've had such a long career. How did you get into performing and then directing? But also, what was your first introduction to porn in just your general life? Okay. First off, I don't know where you get me being the performer. Yeah, tons of non-sexuals, but I've never been a sex performer. Oh, I've okay. I've just tons of acting roles, sure. That's what people see me in things like the movie Mope and things like that. So I've, yeah, tons of bit cameos and bit parts. You know, nobody's there, so you got to play the doctor, you know. I've done that stuff, but I've never been a performer. Oh, okay. I wish. I never had that skill. <laughs> uh, but Okay, so you were asking, how did I start? Yes. Okay. I started in 1990 in Florida. And I started at originally as a distributor out of Florida, and I did not even plan on being a porn distributor. It was completely accidental. Uh, it was one of those situations where we were going to be uh, uh, putting out a kickboxing video, producing a kickboxing video, and uh, it turned out my partner in the thing. I I arrived down in Florida. It's 1990. Cell phone phones were just getting going, so you usually didn't even have a cell phone. Uh, there was no internet, and uh, so I get down there, and he's like. Jim, we cannot do it. We cannot make this kickboxing movie. I'm like, why? He goes, well, it turns out our partner used to be make porn movies. And, you know, that means he's involved with, you know, he did done something at Tracy Lords where he got in trouble. I go, so what's the big deal about that? He goes, well, that means he's involved with the mafia and we can't get involved with the mafia, Jim. I'm like, well, you got a point. We can't do that. So, um, so we started out, we were doing something else. We were doing um, the loans. And it turns out, like, the people that we, we were originally to do the kickboxing thing, we were looking at the, at the time you would try to pre-sell video sales. This is 1990. So it was still, for the most part, the only way you put something out was on video back in those days. And uh, so we, we were trying to unload. We had, like, hundreds of thousands of uh, horror movies. And he had some distributorship down there because he was one-stopping horror movies. And so back that they used to do that in those days. Mm. So it's kind of you're 50, so you might you might remember some of this. Oh yeah, the days of the blockbusters and everything, and the horror movies that would come through, and or you know there was stock, you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre stuff like that. So anyhow, um, 
Long story short, uh, one of the distributors that was going to pick up our copy says, what the hell are you guys doing? You guys should be in porn. And we're like, what? And uh, this guy got into porn. It was a guy named Barry Calfin. Him and a guy named Buck Adams came down. Buck Adams was a director. That was Amber Lynn's brother, who uh, you probably heard of him. He's in the Hall of Fame. So Buck Adams comes down. I'm living in West Palm Beach, Florida, on PGA Golf Course. He comes walking in. And I swear to God, this was like the most weird moment for me in my life. He is dressed like Sean Holmes, that pure, like, he had this kind of Don Johnson eight or 80s, like, when he's wearing the suit like Don Johnson would have wore or, or used to see Johnny Wad Holmes wear. You remember that ridiculous white leisure suit thing he would wear? He walks in with his curly hair, this big mustache, and I'm like, holy fuck, they really do look like that. You know, I was like, what fuck? And apparently Buck Adams was living with Barry because he was doing one of his things. He was trying to get the funding together to make uh, the Johnny Wad story, which later one of my friends produced in a movie called Wonderland with Val Kilmer. It was made later. A friend of mine was the producer, but that was years later. But this was the beginning of that. And he was trying to get us to get the money together. We set up a distributorship immediately. Uh, you know, we're being ripped off by my partner. I break up with them. Mike Buck Adams says to me, Jim, you need to be making movies. I moved back to California. We made our first movie, started filming on January 2nd of 1991. It was shot in 35 millimeter. It was called Speed Trap. And that was me getting my, my, putting my foot into the porn waters. So what was your introduction just as a, a gentleman, a young man? What was your introduction to porn in just your general life? Oh, and way before that, um, well, I've always been had a tight, uh, a tight hold on porn my whole life. Well, you know, like when I was a little kid, I was an avid collector of porn. I used to get babysitters to buy me Hustler magazines. I used to draw comic porno comics. I used to draw all the time. I, I was totally that perverted kid when I was young. You know, I was a good comic book guy, skater. You know, I was just the, the classic, like, you know, whatever porno the guy i'd be looking behind movie theaters in those days for film strips to see the naked people on them and stuff so yeah i was a big reader of hustler if you ask me about early days of porn anything to watch porn we used to sit around in the in the dorms my fraternity everybody would be watching the porn movies as a group and everything too everybody had their favorite actors and actresses <laughs> oh the good old days now you bring up the thought that like, oh no, the mob is involved in the industry. And that may have been true years and years ago, but you know, not so much fairly recently. And I'm sure no, it, it was when I first got in. Yeah. You kind of had some of the background and I did meet people that were kind of involved in that from the seventies. But for the most part, by the time I came in, you know, keep going, I really got going like early nineties. So, like, when I came in, like, the summer of 1990, first I was dealing with a lot of people on the East Coast. So you're dealing with the distributors. It's a different crowd than when you're dealing with the performers, as you no doubt know. Uh, so it's like you dealt with a lot of the older guys that have been doing this for 15 years. So I was dealing with people going further back in the old days. It was a lot different. I mean, the 90s was fun. The 90s was a very fun time for porn. So I don't, I don't even know what you call the 90s. I guess the, the golden age is the 70s. And people look at the 80s as kind of like the sparkling age or whatever they want to call it. I don't know what you call the 90s. You tell me. That's a very good question. I'll probably come up with something after the interview's over. But that's that was like the, the 90s into 2000s. That was that it was, was chaos. Yeah. The only way I 
part of people that don't realize it. People talk about the good old days. I don't know if there's good old days, but what 90s was about was very chaotic times. And you didn't have the social media and you didn't have the slut shaming and all that. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about. It was just a, it was a very chaotic, gonzo type of period of porn, and especially in the mid 90s when everybody's trying to one up each other and the gangbangs and record breaking events and shooting fire out of your ass. It was, it was pretty exciting, actually, the Bukaki era. It was fun times. Look back on that quite fondly. I'm sure. And when it comes to things like the, the mob being in, I'm sure there are a lot of misconceptions to what the industry was like in the 80s and 90s. Are there some quote unquote urban legends that every time you would hear somebody say something, you go, it just wasn't like that? Yeah, I'll hear people. Look, I get all the time because I'm older now, talent talking about the good old days, how it must wonderful it must have been. But <laughs> It wasn't necessarily like, yeah, there were certain things, I think the closeness of everybody, because it was a very small world in porn. It was all really, by the 90s, early 2000s, it was all in the valley. You know that. Mm-hmm. It was a in the valley. It was because everything was centered out here, from printing to replication, duplication, uh, the warehousing. Everything was kind of done out of here, so everything was very centralized. I think that group thing is what we've lost with, you know, with now porns being shot everywhere. So I think that's one of the things that people tend to romanticize. They don't even realize what they're really romanticizing is that. So I don't know if there was ever really a golden age. I mean, I think the girls are making more now than ever, especially with during COVID with OnlyFans. So it's not about the money for the performers. They, they were, are making way more now for the most part, if you're popular. Yeah, but I, I think you've lost the status of being a movie star, though. So you don't have that. Like when I came in, you never called the girls a whore or anything like that because they weren't. And if they were doing privates, it was down on the down low. It's a different world now. Yeah, for sure. To think about how when you had films that got released, you know, you look at Deep Throat, Behind the Green Door, that actually went to movie theaters. They held like a a premiere and you had the stars there and you had people, famous people that would turn out to watch it. it. Just the thought of that blows my mind. Yeah, like even in the 80s, and I think when I was first a fan of porn in college, I mean, I, I ended up later, I found out I had slept with girls that did porn. I didn't even know about it. Until, Why? You were a porn? You, you did porn? And I found this out later. But um, yeah, it's like I, I just think a lot of this stuff is we would we would recognize people. I mean, these people were recognizable. Amber Lynn, Ginger Lynn, you know, all these faces in porn, the Gale, uh, Gale Force, whatever. They were recognizable people to us. And I don't, I think to a certain extent, you might still have that with a hardcore guy, but I don't know if it's how it was back in the, just being growing up in the eighties, how you thought of porn stars. I mean, you really thought of them as being stars, right? You know, if you were, were not in porn, you thought they had this glamorous life. It was all drugs and partying and everything. I mean, that's to an outsider. That's the perception I had of porn. Now I usually don't bring up, other interviews, but you did an interview with TT Boy for YouTube called Jim Powers, the inventor of American Bukkake, and you did that in 2019, and it's yeah. a fascinating look back. How much fun is it to reminisce and relive those formative years because your memory is phenomenal? Well, look, let me tell you, TT is a fucking amazing interviewer. <laughs> I mean, the guy, he can get you in there and get you talking. He really is fucking good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm uh, he keeps you in there and gets you talking, and he's fun to be nostalgic with. He's very good. He's very good at 
you know, getting a lot of that stuff out of you. Because it's not that I have a great memory. It's just like if you, you prod it out of me and I get to talking to people from my era, you know how it is. It just one story reminds you of 20 stories. And next thing you know, you're fucking rolling along, you know. So I, I think, you know, that, that interview, I know we were ambled on, on about a lot of stuff. It's so funny. So many people have said things to me about that interview. Yeah, I thought it was it was a great listen from front to back. Now, you currently direct for, as you mentioned, probably a dozen studios, averaging about 300 scenes a year. You shoot multiple scenes a day. That is a... First, I work for one company. Well, one Just, company, yes. Yeah. So what it is, is a lot of the uh, studios I shot for that got bought up and I got grandfathered in. So, and yeah, they're different studios, but like I said, I've always been very versatile, so I can work with different looks, and I've always shot a very wide range of, of uh, fetishes and content. I mean, I've shot everything from gay to bondage, to gangbangs to macaque, you name it, lesbian, whatever. I've shot features, so I've been all over the place. So, it's all, it tends to go in my wheelhouse, the stuff I shoot, but it's one studio, so it's not like I shoot for 100 different studios. Right. But I guess the outside the way they're they're set up it does look like different studios to people yeah now do you shoot like a tv show where you do a bunch of scenes at once and then take some time off or are you just constantly doing correcting i'm constantly it's daily weekly i'm I'm always working i don't work every day everybody says oh you work every no i don't i shoot on average three to four times a week every week you know so i don't I, i i hate doing those eight nine day runs because it's tiring. Uh, it, like, here's another thing, too. People remember me from the 90s. Back then, we used to shoot, and I'm not kidding you, and you can talk to a lot of people from that era, especially the features. I'd get in there 8 o'clock in the morning, and we would shoot till sun up, and then I'd be going to the, my next set the next day. It'd be crazy. I'd be getting literally leaving one place at 9 in the morning late for my own call time at 8 o'clock in the morning on the next shoot I'm supposed to be on. But those days were so much longer in the 90s. And once again, I was always just doing three, four days a week. But we would do these big features. I'd have to do five scenes in a day. Now I tend to do two scenes in a day. I try to do two scenes a day unless it's a big gangbang or something. And I I just try to maintain it because I'm still a long day. I'm there till 8 o'clock at night, sometimes later, you know, 8 in the morning. So to shoot a couple of scenes, it takes me that long. So to answer your question, like I said, I call three or four days a week. So it's fairly consistent because now it's like I'm updating sites and you constantly need new people. And I don't like to do a big flurry all at once. It's 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 more relaxing if you can do them, you know, because I got I'm usually writing my scripts. A lot of times the studios not give me the scripts, uh, but most of the times I'm writing my own script and coming up with everything because I shoot the camera and direct it. Oh, OK. That's kind of what I wanted to ask. Like, how has your approach to directing changed over your career? Because technology has really changed the game and how you do your job. And how has your approach changed? Okay. Uh, Way back in the beginning, I did not shoot camera. I started shooting camera early on because I did not want to be at the mercy of these bitchy ass, whiny cameramen that are such prima donnas. And I say that because I'm one of those prima donnas. And, and, uh, uh, so I started shooting cameras. So I've always kind of been the guy shooting my camera. Sure, I've had movies where I've had other people shoot because I didn't know the camera they wanted on film or outside that. So I've directed plenty, but I go nuts if I'm just directing. I need to be in there until I want this shot. And, and you, like when you're holding a camera, you can really get in there. You can tell them you want that shot, but you're holding the camera. You know what I mean? Versus sitting back at a monitor. I've never been able to be that guy. It's, and a lot of the stuff I do, when it's more like 
And I'm tossing the word gonzo around other than the pure definition of gonzo where you're immersed in the scene. I know that. But usually like a gonzo, and I always kind of shot a hybrid gonzo feature slash, you know, amateur approach anyway. I've kind of combined all the elements when I shoot. Um, but, but like, you know, when you're shooting that stuff, you just got to be you're in the, immersed in the scene. It really helps. I think you get more out of the performers and stuff when you're immersed in the scene when you're shooting. Now, similarly, how has your lifestyle changed over the years? Because there's no way you can remain as prolific as you are without learning a lot of lessons, be it personally or professionally. Well, that's what's so good about me, because I absolutely learn nothing in life, and every day is the same. (laughs) 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 Because I've I've never made the perfect porn or porn I really want to watch again, so I keep on striving to try to finally make a good one. So... It's very frustrating, my life. No, I, I think that's part of it. It's like they're saying that, you know, it's like I am very short-term memory, and I get over mistakes real quick. So, you know, in sports, especially in porn, you got to be able to do that. I let the water slide off my back. I don't take things personally. So I don't know what I've learned, but I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I guess I've never outgrown porn. It's like being in 13th grade your whole life. It's like you never graduate. I don't want to be in the real world. <laughs> so here I, here I am right. forever. <laughs> forever. That's right. <laughs> Born purgatory. Right. I'm like in that character. What was the movie after Waterboy? Little Nicky. I'm like little Nicky. <laughs> <laughs> now, and, and that kind of, brings up the thought like directing as much as you do do you feel like you have a version of the uh i can't find my classroom and i'm late for finals dream but just a porn version of it like what are your dreams like wow you just those are the dreams i have i i I do i the the dreams i have i always have a dream like tomorrow's the test and i have not studied at all and i'm not ready for it that is a burning nightmare i have where you'll be wake up like stressed and then they're like, Oh, okay. The world, real world's better. But I always have that. Like you're not prepared. So yeah, that's, I've always had that fear. Like I, it's, it's always like it's calling. Like, Oh my God. It's a final. I'm averaging an F and I did not study for it. I have to pull it off. I actually got through school like that. I was, I would go into every final with a D or an F and somehow ace it and get a C or a B in the class. I was so bad when I was in school. I didn't do shit all semester to like cram the last week. <laughs> That is actually a dream I have. I don't know why. Is that personality type? It might be, but uh, I think we may be related because I was the exact same way through college. Yeah, I the same way. I'm always worried about not being prepared. You had a scene release recently from Zero Tolerance called To Protect and Fuck featuring uh, Rebel Rider, and it's loosely based on the female officer who had sex with her co-workers and you also recently shot a Gilligan's Island parody for Biphoria. There are some mm. news events that have a ton of potential to be adapted for a scene or movie. What's your process for working through these ideas? And do they have an expiration date? Like, do you need to strike while the publicity iron is hot? Yes, we felt Gilligan's Island would be the perfect time right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're only, what, 40 years past prime? We nailed it! Well, Perfect! But, but there's an iconic nature to that one. 
Look, you guys, I, the guy who's in charge of the Gender X by Foria sites is so cool. And we were talking about, like, we always, like, throw ideas. That's why I love him. And they're so fun to shoot for. We throw ideas around. And they're like, what about? And my still photographers actually said, we were going to do something else. We were going to do, actually, we were going to do the Titanic. I was going to do the Titanic. And, and, and then he's like, well, that's going to be a tough one in the water and everything. And they're like, and my still guys said, why not Gilligan's Byland? I go, genius. So, I call, I, so I'm on the phone with him. I go, what about we do Gilligan's Island? And he just, that's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And, and so, and the characters all write themselves if you watch the show. You know, you know <laughs> Gilligan, I mean, come on. <laughs> now, has there ever been a, a parody or scene idea within that realm that, another director or studio got to before you had the opportunity to do it and you've regretted it? No, because like when Halloween, three of us did it, I, and I made by far the best Halloween parody when I did it for Smash that time, I actually shot Halloween. Halloween basically had every single sex scene lined up in it as actual sex scenes. That was the easiest parody I ever made. It was my all-time favorite, too. I didn't really, I wasn't a big parody shooter. I, I mean, I shot a lot of the parodies, you know, like I was never really, I mean, I guess I did do a lot of them in the 90s. I've always done parodies, but I've never worried about somebody else doing the parody because in porn, you can just make it. It's almost better when a couple of people make the parody of the same thing. My all time favorite ones I ever did was the Texas Chainsaw Masquerade because we couldn't say massacre in those days, which I did. Uh, ABN had as one of the 100 best porns of all time. So I was really proud of that one. I did that one somewhere in the late 90s. Love that one. But I was like the bridesmaid one. I did bridesmaids. Do you remember that one? I do. Uh, I did the Werewolf of London, uh, American Werewolf in London, where I went to London and filmed some of the intro stuff, walking around the streets of London with Derek Hay. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then I came back and shot all in the studio here, but I actually filmed some dialogue and stuff in London and did a lot of the cutaways on the streets and everything. And I tried to go to the zoo to get the shot of where he actually woke up. But they don't have a, have a wolf's cage in the, in the London Zoo. I actually went to it. Hmm. But, it, but it was kind of funny. That was a good parody. I shot a lot of the parodies. But no, I never really worried about if anybody else was doing them or not. It didn't matter. I did that punk rock one, Little Runaway, which is a parody of Suburbia, if you ever really saw, saw it, the old Penelope Spheris movie. Yeah, I remember seeing the press for that. Yeah. Yeah, so I did a lot of parodies, I guess. Yeah, I guess I've probably done 100 parodies. That's a lot. At least. Yeah, because I used to do for a good board, the heat wave, every black film that would come out, like Baby Boy or whatever, you know, drinking your juice in the hood, all that type of stuff, I do a parody on immediately. <laughs> now, as you found your footing uh, as an early director, you started working in the more extreme categories, at least uh, for the time. Now, as kinks and fetishes become more available and normalized, today's idea of extreme is different, but still kind of similar in concept. Do you think porn will ever find a yacht rock era where it's just regular meat and potatoes sex, or will it always work its way to the extreme corners of different genres and topics? Okay, the 80s was the Yacht Rock era of porn. You know that. Okay. Think of the 80s was pure Yacht Rock, if that's what we're comparing it to. Yeah. Because porn hadn't become legal yet. They were just dealing with the mass opening of VHS. Do you remember shot an amazing VHS? It was, they brag about it, shot on, you know, in video. Shot in amazing video. It wasn't that 
horrible blurred looking film look so you could actually see the hardcore it was actually a selling point but i think it was a they made porn was purposely done very i think vanilla in the 80s sorry the late 80s late 80s early 90s late 80s early 90s was a very vanilla pay, pay, uh, period and and then like somewhere in the mid 90s this whole gonzoization and the chase for the extreme thing really went crazy that was the era i, I really found my footing in so do you think it'll ever where porn's going i think where it has become such a throwaway commodity it's like making sardines almost now you know what i mean there's just so much porn being put out by everybody like, how will it ever become this yacht rock thing? I mean, are you saying, is there going to be a flight back to quality? Is Are people going to get burnout on the OnlyFans? Because that's basically, uh, that is the video hooker. That's the girl behind the glass at, at, at the Mons Venus or whatever. You know what I mean? Venus Fair is really what, what OnlyFans is and a lot of that stuff is. I mean, a lot of the cam girls, really, you are the girl behind the glass. Mm-hmm. Is all you the virtual hooker. I think there's always going to be that because I think that's always going to be like the Venus fair. Will there be this demand for the high quality movie? Maybe, you know, I think you'd like to think there is, you know, there's going to be a, there's going to be a channel eventually that's just showing maybe features that you could hook up. You know, I think there's, that could be there. I mean, it's already there, but do people really see it that way? Like is the wicked channel really the high end channel? I mean, yeah, yeah, so, I mean, define Yacht Rock. It's all going to be featured with four scenes, four boy, girls, one girl, girl. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Just, you know, more of what I guess people would call vanilla sex now. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it. We're going to this period right now. I think it's very, even though everything we do is very specific, but to me it's become very vanilla because it's, I just don't feel like it's cutting edge and you know, there's just a lot of rules and stuff on that. I think we're in a very vanilla age right now. It's vanilla to me. This is to me, it's very tame compared to how it used to be. Is it tame because it seems very formulaic? Like there isn't that spontaneity that comes with kind of that gonzo extreme style. There is that it's also become a very accepted it's very socially acceptable to be making your money on OnlyFans or whatever, to be a porn star. I mean, what's a star anymore? It, it, it's become very socially acceptable. So I, I just think, um, it, to me, there's not that, I don't know, there was, there was something about the 90s, the whole fear of the cops busting in on your set. I mean, how many times were we lined up and stuff and the cops, somebody the vice squad was busting everybody for shooting without permits. I mean, you remember this era. Right. You don't, people don't even think about that anymore. I mean, who do you know that's ever been busted by a cops anymore for doing anything in porn? No, there's not one talent out there that's ever had the cops really, maybe a few times they were doing something stupid on a rooftop and the cops showed up or something. But I'm talking about just shooting some house in the valley just because the neighbors are parked. Next thing you know, you're being raided with 20 uh, vice cops. It just doesn't happen anymore. But because the DA is not after it. So I don't know. Maybe that has a lot to do with why I get this feeling it's become very very safe but i think that just has a lot to do with the way the agents all control all the talent and it's really much when you book them it's like it's not so much a film it's like you get to sleep in the talent they're like oh it's just content you know they almost talk like that and i think it has a lot to do with the approach the talent takes to it. oh it's just another content porn scene and i think it's put the proliferation of the talent has taken away the edge 
not, I'm not saying people aren't making good stuff, but you know what I mean? They're just, it's the vibe you get. It's not edgy. I mean, do you feel it's edgy? I don't. I I think you're correct. I, I think, I think you're right in what you're saying for sure. Yeah. It's like, you know, so, I mean, it's fun. And I, and I, I that's why I tend to drift more towards, I think doing the trans stuff, doing the buy stuff, doing the, the game bangs. Uh, I like the energy there. Uh, I, I, I'm not into the, the very boring, like I said, the boy girl sex scenes, the girl girl sex scenes. I would much rather be shooting a big gangbang or doing the trans rave or, or, or the Gilligan's Byland, fun stuff. Right. Yeah, I've always liked, I've, I've, I've always have liked the features and stories because it's fun. You know, it gives you something to do. But I, anyway, I like to do that. That's, I think, why I shoot a lot of the more, as far as it goes, interesting, extreme things. Give me that stuff because I I like it to be a challenge when you do it. I would rather something hard. And, and that's actually a question that I wanted to ask because you do shoot so many genres: straight, trans, bi. Does it help keep you creative or more interested, engaged in what you're creating? Because when you direct as much as you do, I'm sure there's some kind of oh look, a penis and a vagina yawn. You know, it, does it help to keep that process? fresh for you yes definitely I, I i totally think it it keeps it on for me when you're doing these different type of things otherwise you can get bored so i like doing like for instance like the accidental gang bangs for instance where it's kind of funny you know it's like it's always a different kind of concept you're doing something different then i i couldn't imagine just every day going and shooting a girl interviewing okay where are you from blah blah, blah the interview and the guy fucks on the couch i couldn't imagine doing that every day but that's why i've never done that you know so i've always tried to do the, the more cutting edge type of things in your directing career, I'm sure you've seen trends, genres, and topics come and go. Some maybe overstay their welcome, and some stay on top of the most popular year after year. Are there topics that have surprised you with their popularity or resilience? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've seen so many things come and go. Um, but I don't... I think the stepfather thing is just, and I understand it's all about MasterCard and triggering things. And I mean, but that's going to be, it's always going to be something that it's basically a daddy porn stuff is always going to be popular out there because it's always going to be a taboo subject. And that just falls into that. Um, let's say, well, let's see what, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking what's really disappeared. I think a lot of the pure gonzo stuff has definitely disappeared. It seems to me like that's gone. But I kind of think that was no very boring type of stuff anyway. I'm kind of glad. I'm kind of glad the Gonzo stuff disappeared. I mean, some of that was just so bad. You know, it was coming out. I mean, I look at that period in the like around 2004 to 2008, where just they were just piling out all this garbage. You know, when they were they're just making money hand over fist, and it was just just the girl getting fucked in the desk at the whatever porn office it was. That was the heyday of that Gonzo stuff. That just was just horrible. I mean, some of that stuff, I can't even watch it. Yeah. The the one for me that I'm surprised has remained popular at some level is squirting because it is so different than it used to be. Like when I first started watching it, you know, it was Etheria and I, I believe her name was pronounced Fallon. I remember because I used to shoot Fallon because I was friends with and she was the original squirter. I mean, that people knew of. And, and 
it was like literally when she would score, she would pass out. That was her big thing that she passed out. And there was only then some girls started copying, catching on to that thing. Uh, the one you mentioned and a few other girls started doing it. Uh, but yeah, nowadays it's like, it, it is funny now. There are so many squirters now. It's funny. That's one of those. Yeah. I, 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 that's not, I think that's one of those themes because we've been making squirt movies ever since I've been born. You know, there was Rain Woman back in the early 90s, remember? So there's always been the squirting stuff, but it wasn't the proliferation of it is now where they're almost expected to learn it. Uh, this It reminds me of you had to be able to face fuck. Do you remember this in the early 2000s? A girl had, but now that's, that's no longer a big deal. Most girls don't do that. But they had to be able to do that because everybody copied Gag Factor when we started Gag Factor. So everybody was copying that Gag Factor we were doing at JM. Uh and now it's turned into like all the girls have to squirt. So, yeah, that's like one of those themes that seems to go along with in porn itself. I don't know if the general person knows. You know what I mean? It's not like it's, yeah, it's like the, the girls are all trained on that. The anal is not the big deal it used to be either. In the early 2000s, all the girls had to do anal, had to deep throat. You don't have that as much anymore. But the one trick they seem to learn is the squirting. You have seen technology of filming change dramatically from 35 millimeter and big crews and budgets to video cameras to being able to make a scene on your phone. How are you with technology? Like, do you have the mindset of I need to know everything because I don't want to fall behind? Or do you have that? Ah, this isn't going to last. And, you know, you kind of have to play a little bit of catch up. I kind of fall in between. I, I don't ever want to be that dinosaur guy that, you know, well, I'm only going to make a video. I try, I've shot videos on my cell phone. I try all this type of stuff. Um, I've never been a technical guy, so I've never been afraid of technology. You know what I mean? It's always been, I'll hire a video tech to train me on that camera. Okay. Is what I do. I hire somebody to train me on it and to work with me on it is what I do. And so if I have to shift to something, because you could tell me, well, tomorrow, Jim, you have to shoot everything on this camera, and I'll do it. I'll hire a guy there to train me on it, and, and I'll shoot it, but I'll learn it. And look, at being a cameraman, yeah, you have to know certain technical things. For the most part, you don't. It's like kind of thinking that you have to know how to read this, you know, write software, you know, to be, you know, work on computers, you know, and so – you can, there's guys out there that will train you on this stuff, you know, just find like, you know, I'm a guy, any camera I want. So to answer your question, I do try to ship with the new stuff, but at the same token, I'm not the type of guy who goes, you know, I'm not blacked. I'm not shooting on a $200,000 rig because nobody's asking me to, you know, and I, when you got the problem, I think a lot of people do is they'll go, they burn themselves out because they are so techy. They want to do all this stuff on this high end stuff. And unfortunately the market doesn't appreciate it. Cause that is true. I mean, wh what percentage of people watch porn on their phone now? Right. Porn is no longer like in the big TV room, right in the VHS, what watching it, you know, from the eighties, nineties era. I mean, most porn is consumed like this. Even if you're watching a movie, you download from hot movies, you're watching it on your phone. I, I number of, I mean, what is the actual number? You probably know it, but I know it's really high. Yeah, it's, I'm not, I don't know the exact number, but yeah, it is a vast majority of people just watch it on their phone. Or computer. Or computer, you know. yeah. Yeah, so I, I almost look at that as the same. But nobody watches porn unless you're in a hotel room on drugs and it could be on a TV. 
Well, if it makes you feel any better, in my studio, I'm going to point the camera at it. Uh, down on the bottom of the floor, there is VHS that nice. uh, I've collected. Yeah, I I'm a big physical media guy, so I love DVDs and I love the VHS and I have VCRs and I, but I know I'm a dinosaur when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, I, I have I have piles of old VHS. I have DVDs. Uh, I have tons of that stuff. Like I said, I have a huge comic book collection, magazines, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I have yeah. way too many magazines for sure. Yeah, I love the I love physical. I, I love. I just have a huge library of a room. So I have a signed picture to a poster, a Marvel poster in here. Stan Lee signed to me. Oh, very cool. Yeah, can't really call it because of his phone, but see it over there. Oh wow! Oh, that's really cool. See Stan. Oh, very nice. My buddy used to do, uh, he would sell for Marvel Comics. Like, you remember how Tootsie Roll, you know, if you look at a Marvel comic, there's an ad for Tootsie Roll or whoever. I haven't looked at one so long. But he would sell for Marvel Comics. So he was always getting piles of swag in the 90s. And he would just bring me over boxes of comic books. But I'm a, I, look, I'm a Golden Age comic guy in Silver Age at Marvel. That's the era I like it. The 12 cent, 15 cent, 20 cent comics. Those are the ones I like to collect. Is there a brass ring that you want to get as a collector? Of comic books? Yeah. My God, like anybody. Amazing Fantasy number 15. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> I number two. No kidding. And number six. Yeah, well, and I bought all this stuff back in the seventies when I was a kid. Because I, for to make money when I was a kid, I used to buy and sell comic books at the flea market, and I'd go to the comic book shows. And you know, back in the seventies, selling comic books when I was a kid you know, in high school to make money. That's what I used to do. Oh, that's really cool. You have worked with so many of the elite performers in the industry. Is there a common trait or traits that run through all of them? I would think that one might be that more and more performers kind of look at the industry as a business, but that can also be kind of a downfall because it does take that feeling and spontaneity out of what you want to shoot. I absolutely, the ones that totally act like it's a business when they're on the set, I don't even like shooting them because they make it no fun. And I think most of the people that are really the stars, most popular ones of that talent, but they're, they act like they're having a great time and they really are. So I think people see through that. The girls who come here just for the money, I, I, they, I don't know if they even really last. Sure. Some of them turn into that, but I, I think you got to really kind of love what you're doing to be a porn star. So I don't like the ones that act like that. So I can't think of any girl who was super popular who really acted like that. I mean, name a girl and I'll kind of tell you what she was like, but they, they, they just, when they were around you on the set, I mean, acting like a star is different than acting like you're just doing it for the money. You know what I mean? I don't mind that diva thing when you deliver a scene. That's fine. But uh, just acting like you're just there for the money, those girls never make it. When you see a performer and they may have all of the intangibles, quote unquote, to be a star, but they're they're missing something that's fixable, like maybe mindset or approach. Do you ever say anything to them or do you let them figure it out on their own? No, I mean, like anything, it just depends on what the the vibe is on the set. I'm not going to say anything to hurt a person. And, and I would never, you know, like, I don't know, not to say mean things to people anyway. So it's just like, like they had a good time. 
for the most part. I'm sure you'll say certain things to him like, hey, why don't you let yourself go a little bit? Have fun. But I don't know. I've never been the type that's going to try to – I will only say something bad about you, your performance, especially if you're late or don't know your lines. Those things I tend to get mad about or just act or, – or if you're acting like kind of a you know, bitch or something during the scene. That's the only time I'll ever really say anything. Because usually I'm more look at I, I approach shooting the stuff almost being like a coach, especially in some of the stuff I did at the Bukaki and in these gangbangs. You're much more of a, a coach on the field than you are a uh, you know a director. Once you get into the you know the actual sex and everything, it's like more like you know you're cheering them along and you know becoming part of the whole thing so you gotta really be egging them on so no i did i am not gonna sit there and give you a life speech because that's not me <laughs> okay <laughs> now one of the positives i feel of the modern industry is the inclusivity of so many different body types and styles which really wasn't prevalent in the 80s or 90s at least not for the big promoted stars when you see this come forward do you think that this is just a really big boost for the industry because now you have people that see it as something that they can really connect with visually okay you're talking to a guy in the 90s who primarily shot black movies for heat wave if you recall so i and i was doing fat stuff i was doing all that stuff in the 90s okay i mean nothing's changed for me i mean i i think I don't, I mean, I, I know what you mean. It's like, like, see, I never really had that separation, I guess, like, you know, oh, it's a white movie, you can't hire a black guy or a black woman. But for the most part, I don't remember there ever being that much of a separation. I know a lot of the stuff is they would want us to, you know, to keep it because it was marketed as a, an interracial movie or an all-black movie, so don't put white people in it as an all-black movie. But we never really had an all-white movie. It would just be kind of be that way because I think a lot of the talent my, my, the problem is nowadays, it's like, I wish we had agents taking in more black. We don't have enough black women in this business. That's where we're short. The, I don't know why the agents don't sign them. Because I'll tell you, the hardest thing for me to shoot now is a black movie. There's a, there's not many black actresses. Pull up any agency site right now. Pull up anyone right now. Pull on your computer. Tell me how many. Not many. In the 90s, we used to have tons of black women in this business. So, you know, you asked me a question like that. I don't, I don't, I understand what you're saying. Yes, they are virtual signaling and they're putting them on their marketing things more. I get that. Yes, that's more. But are there more being uh, out there coming in this business? I don't know. On a person, on, 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 I mean, literally, if I was trying to, to book a black movie, pull up any, any agency right now in front of me and you show me why, why where are they all, where they are. So, yeah, I think. We are making a concerted effort as an industry to be more equal like that. And part of the thing is the movies aren't so stereotypical. Like I would, it's easier for me now just to put a, like a black guy playing any role with a white girl because it's no longer interracial. Once they got rid of the stigma of the interracial thing and because the agents were all saying, oh, hold out for more money to do a black guy or you couldn't do a black guy, that changed a lot of that right now. So, yeah, I think I think nowadays we're a little bit more colorblind, I guess. But I, but I think a lot of that stuff, it wasn't so much like it was a racist thing in porn. It's so they can market the black guys with the white girl. You know what I mean? So they could do those better. And it wasn't, you know what I mean? They liked keeping it taboo, I think. Mm. Well, I mean, you could never make a, sh a series like White Trash Horror today like we used to do. 
do you remember my old white trash force? All the white guys were meth heads and KKK members. <laughs> <laughs> we did. And all the black guys were thugs and selling drugs and, you know, but that was what we catered to. All the women were brought up in trailer parks, <laughs> but that was what that was. You can't do that anymore. Uh, you're you definitely know? right. <laughs> I mean, it was like, I, I couldn't believe the things. It's was, it was so funny because people say this stuff. But I mean, I would have the like the white girls like stealing welfare checks because their grandmother died. And, you know, things like that would be the stories. We don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but yeah, I, I do think it's, it's, it's I, I, I think it's nice. It, it's different that you don't have, like, I no longer, I can put, like I said, it's mostly what it is, is like being able just to toss black guys into these very mainstream roles. I think that's what's changed. Before it was strictly they had to be, I mean, I used to shoot great for this one way back when, when I got shooting porn and I used to do a line called Beach Bum Amateurs. Do you, do you remember this? No. Beach Bum Amateurs was a line, whatever. They're supposed to be beach bums. And anyway, so I was doing this and I started making uh, like a lot of friends that would do scenes and, and they were black. So they'd get girls. I was shooting a lot of black on black scenes. And then what happened is the company says, hey, you got what they split it up into black amateurs. And then we kept the other line, the white amateurs. They started calling it Hollywood amateurs. It was right after Beach Bomb amateurs ended. And, and so what they did is they separated them up because they realized they could make more money, especially in the 90s. Black videos were hot. You know, so, so it, yeah, they would do things like that where, you know, like, uh, you know, you know, because they wanted just to sell the black, the black stuff. Anyway, it's back to we have black girls in this business. So it's hard. It's harder to find them. I don't know what happened. I think in the VHS days, there's just so much more of a market for it. Yeah, it's strange that the industry doesn't see that market because that is something that, I mean, the industry has done nothing but evolved and adapt throughout its history and for some reason that's like the one thing what what do you think that missing link is to bring in more black women i don't know you, you know once again i don't know back then we used to just have a lot more black women i think it was because we had a lot more lines like heat wave these things that don't exist anymore uh that really catered he liked that really you know, like he pushed that whole ghetto fabulous image uh, which Dogfire in the old days used to also with the black women they wanted on. And you don't have that being pushed anymore because that's considered racist or whatever. And I think that was a lot of what killed it when that stuff quit being pushed when we were constantly making the girls in the hood and all that type of stuff. You don't do that anymore. And that was a big selling thing in the 90s. And nowadays, I just I don't know. I think maybe you're going to get more coming in through OnlyFans. But – I, I just or and that's like it's not I don't blame the agents because the agents are just sitting here hoping people come to them and they have the recruiters bring them in. You need the recruiters bringing them in. So and I think a lot of this stuff is just being picked up off the girls that are you know the recruiters are grabbing them from their only fans or Instagrams and things like that. I don't know if they're still doing in the old days. They used to go in there and hang out in the strip bars. Do they still do that? No. I don't know. That was how, and I think that's where a lot of the girls used to come in, white or black, was through the strip bars. And I don't know if they could still, you know, I don't know if you really have those recruiters like you used to in the old days. That's a very good question. I I don't believe so, but yeah, it's a very interesting thought. Yeah. You know, so um, anyway, yeah, yeah. But we need more of that. So if I was going to say one percent of this interview should really be doing that, they could probably do really well with a 
right guy pushing. And we don't have those AJs of the world anymore that used to go get them. <laughs> They're right. not around. So beyond the idea of being on set and trying to make it fun, honestly, instead of it being like a day at work, are there any changes either in philosophy or in business that you feel the industry needs to get back to or just maybe needs reminded of to, I don't know, just to kind of find its footing again? I don't know. I mean, it's like the genie's out of the bottle. I mean, what do you, what do you is it? Hey, look, at, I, like I went, at the beginning of this interview, I said there really never was any good old days. People just like to remember it that way. Mm -hmm. And they want to remember the past better. So who's like I'm saying, girls are making more money than they ever did before. So and the guys and OnlyFans. So I don't I don't know as far as what you would do to change that. And you're not going to change anything as far as people, you know, creating a toxic environment on Twitter and everything. You know what goes on there. You know, and and slut shaming and you know this the constant, you know, crap that goes on there. I think the only thing that's really going to be, be, be saving porn as far as classic, like you're saying, like the movies and the Yacht Rock type of stuff is for channels to take off that are wanting higher end pieces that require acting and so forth. And there's a way for talent to make money being actors and actresses. You know, if, if that works, that's the only thing I think that could give it a little prestige, you know, I am. And I, you know, it's like, I don't, you know, who's to say that, like, like I said, I'm very, like, I don't really ever consider anything so wonderful the past, you know, I'm doing fine now. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't even worry about things like that. Now, to get away from the industry a bit, one of your outlets away from the industry is music and playing in a band called Kilroy. Uh, what drew you to playing in a band and playing punk rock? Well, I discovered punk rock in the late 70s when it came out. It was a breath of fresh air. I don't know if you were ever into punk rock. And I played in punk bands in the early 80s. And it kind of keeps you uh, grounded, keeps you like, uh, I think it's important to do something like that because, you know, it's fun and it kind of keeps, you know, your youth in you doing something like that. Like I said, you don't want to ever really grow up, especially doing what I do. You know, what else do I really do? I don't really have a lot of hobbies. I'm, you know, it's, it's football season, so I'm a big Dolphin fan when the Dolphins play. Okay. I do go to sports and I go to concerts. Seeing Kiss next week. Oh, nice. Where, where are final, you seeing them? Yeah, you have to go. It's their final ever tour. <laughs> yeah. How many times have they said that? Well, this is supposedly the official one. I'm going to the Hollywood Bowl on November 3rd. It's the final time ever in California. Their final ever show is December 6th or something in Madison Square Garden. They keep throwing out rumors of a short residency in Vegas. Do you see that happening? Yeah, but Paul Stanley just said two days ago at the Sphere, he says that's not going to happen. He shot it down. Okay, I gotcha. But I trust me, I, I, know, I know where you're coming from. I think they'll do it. But I do think it's their final ever tour touring, you know. But a residency, you and me both know they're going to be talked into it. Well, it'll be really, they're in their 80s and they'll do something like that because Paul's dream is to have Kiss go on without him as four, four people become turn into Kiss because they're just characters anyway because the band is bigger than them. Oh, that, they're not wrong. It's an interesting thought. 
All right, off a kiss, back to porn. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my last question for you is, what does the future hold for you? Is it just continuing down this row you are hoeing, or are you going to branch out into different things? Do you have anything that you can tease coming up? I know you're not a big convention goer, so what do you have going on for the end of this year and going into next year? Well, I got a bunch of movies right now. I'm working down on scripting right now. I'm shooting scenes and so forth. Um, I don't know. No, <laughs> nothing. Or, or my album comes out November seventh. We're launching a new album on iTunes. Kilroy is. Um, let's see what else. I don't know. Just uh, hopefully making something really interesting, porn wise. You know, do it for as long as I can. Are you going to release physical media? of uh your your album no cds nah yeah i mean if we were a touring band you have to do something like that but they just don't nobody does cds anymore i mean it's vinyl is what you do if you're a punk band you try to put out the vinyl but once again unless you're touring how are you going to sell it Uh, i think you have a big enough name that people will 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 buy it maybe i should maybe i will do it on vinyl i should check in the pricing on that yeah, just do like a, a 250 album print run i think if you do it as a like, like a kickstarter or something like that uh, i think they'll go wow okay maybe i will you're gonna get my guitarist all excited he's gonna want to do that <laughs> well, tell hey where are you at anyway where are you uh, i'm based in pittsburgh holy fuck okay so you're far away yes sir who do the steelers have this weekend Oh, who are the other uh, playing uh, Jacksonville? Oh, that's right. That's right. That's the 10 o'clock game. It's on TV out here because the Dolphins New England game's not on. So I'm going to go to the Dolphin bar. That's right. It's the big game in L.A. too. Uh, okay. Yeah, we uh, beat, quote unquote, L.A. We, we beat the Rams last week. So uh, I, it was a comedy of errors and who was going to make the last one was kind of that game. We're, uh, as a city, we're not real thrilled with the team. <laughs> Well, I think well, I'm a Dolphin fan, so you're talking to a guy who's had a losing team forever. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't, your defense is not what it was supposed to be. And the offense is pretty – I hate Baltimore, though. So I, I cheer from Pittsburgh when I, I cannot stand because Baltimore always beats the Dolphins. I hate the Ravens. I hate them. <laughs> you're one of many. Yeah, I cannot stand the Ravens. <laughs> but, cheering for you know anybody else in that division. I grew up with hockey. Football wasn't necessarily my my big sport. I know it, but yeah, I'm 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 a big hockey fan. Didn't you guys win the championship in hockey, or who won the championship? Shows you how much I followed. <laughs> Last year, it was the Vegas Golden Knights. Pittsburgh hasn't won oh. since 2017. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, because we won. I mean, the Kings have actually won it a couple times. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I could talk to you all yep. evening, but I have taken more than enough of your time. Uh, thank you so much for being on. I hope to have you on again at some point in the future. Because sure. I would, Do it again. Yeah, I, I would just love to be able to to talk with you and pick your brain or even just BS with you and not record it because I, I love the energy you put out. I love what you know. I love your stories. And uh, you're, you're just a darn cool guy. Can I say that? Well, cool. Thank you very much. 